have a, a missions, a stack of missionaries you're supporting. And that's wonderful. I, I truly say thank you. Um, thank you for your, your global vision. That's, that's hugely important. Uh, when we start getting so that this, this, these four walls is our ministry, we're dead. We're, we're in huge trouble. It's got to go out beyond there, at, close to our, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and our uttermost parts of the world. So, so, Acts 13 is where we'll be, but I want to set the stage out of Acts 11. Father, bless your word to us, please. And, um, Lord, it, your word's so practical, so make it so with us. Help us not to just say, oh, another passage I know, and so many missionaries use it. Help it to be very practical. I pray that you bless us to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 13 is the start of the first missionary journey. Most of you would realize that. And um, if you're a student of the book of Acts, and I think it's a great place, uh, we dare not let the book of Acts alone. It's the history book of the New Testament church. So with contemporary Christianity... Uh, it starts to talk about missions right here. Uh, though there's a lot of foreshadowing, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the beginning. And the language is here, and the model is here, and the theology is here uh, for starting uh, churches, for sending out those of our own from our own midst and starting churches. So this section of Scripture, clearly it's the prototype of the missions process that God has chosen to give us. Catch that. I don't want you to miss it. The prototype. God has put this in his word for a reason. Matter of fact, all God's word is there for a reason. But this is for a reason, and it deals with missions. What can we learn from it? So if we're going to approach this, let's start with this idea. What is here for me? What, what's in this for me? What's in this, those of you online, what's in this for you? Don't, you know, um, you're sitting, hopefully you're sitting uh, at home and, and you're comfortable and you have your fuzzy bedroom slippers on and a coffee in hand and whatever. Don't go to sleep on me. Let's see what God has to say about it. Acts 13 really starts back in Acts chapter 11. Look at verse 19. We're going to set the stage for Acts 13, and it's important that we go back here. Verse 19, Acts chapter 11. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So this was a transition for the early church. The Jewish Christians had to understand that now the Bible is going to be presented to the Gentiles. Uh, the Samaritans had already had a taste of it. We see the Samaritan revival with Philip. Uh, we already saw the, the Peter going up to Cornelius, a Gentile. But these were like individuals or uh, groups of people that uh, they didn't really know what to do with. Uh, Peter, or Peter, Philip ultimately going to the Ethiopian eunuch. So the Bible uh, shows the, the gospel going to this Gentile. But the Jews didn't, they were struggling. What, what do we do with this? Is this only for us or can we really take it to the, the Gentile? And this solution, this, this, this uh, tension, that's a good word for it, this tension is not going to be relieved until Acts chapter 15 with the Jerusalem Council. Here they are in Antioch. 
And there are some Gentiles that are starting to listen and starting to come to know Christ. Verse 20. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. These would be Hellenistic Jews, most likely. Preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Isn't that exciting? When you read these parts of Scripture, the Word of God goes out. They had an eager audience. They wanted to hear and they believed. And simple faith in Jesus Christ turns everything upside down. Old things get passed away and all things become new. That's conversion. That's the new birth. That's where the word of God takes effect in the heart of man. He gets convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come by the spirit of God. And now he has an opportunity to believe or to reject. Those that believe Everything gets new. God saves their soul eternally. What a wonderful message. And we're privileged to proclaim that gospel today. And we can do it to our neighbors, to our friends, to our uh, coworkers. It's, it's the same message. It's the same way. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And for by grace are you saved through faith. It's the same message. Verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Who, and this is Antioch in Syria. There's two Antiochs that we'll talk about, but this is Antioch in Syria. Who, when he came, had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. What a wonderful message. Verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. I could say that perhaps we ought to be asking God to find us full of faith and full of the Spirit of God, out of the way so he can use us, and that means boldness with grace, and that means proclamation of his word. Too often I fear that that full of the Holy Spirit uh, is attributed to the charismatics, and we want nothing to do with it as, as independent Baptists. Well, we better have something to do with it. We better get out of the way so God can use us. We better stay filled with the Spirit of God and get out of the way so the Word of God can be effective. Verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, don't miss this. They worked in that church for a year. Now, that's important because that sets the stage for Acts 13, verse 1. So here we have these men with credentials. Barnabas coming down from Jerusalem as an emissary of that church. Saul coming with Barnabas to minister and labor. Now let's look at that church and what it looked like and what they did and how they did it. And this is really where I want us to take a few moments and say, God, can you use me like you used those people in that first century church? Can you use me like you used maybe a Barnabas or a Saul in the first century church? Can you use our church like you use the church in Antioch? That would be a good thing to pray. And, and, and let's see what God can do with this. So what does this look like? 
uh, I guess we could say we want to build a, a biblical theology of missions through our church, through our local church. And for some, that might mean a bit of retooling. Uh, it, it might mean a, an actual individual participation in the missions process as it relates to the local church. For some, it might mean a willingness not just to look at missions, but to be part of missions. For some, it might mean, I am going to invest my time in mentoring our young people so that they would have a heart for missions. I wonder what we're doing with that. I wonder if we're doing with that. I don't know your church, I don't. But I've been in ministry 40 years, and I've been around several churches. And quite honestly, unless it's intentional that we pour ourselves into our kids for specific reasons, we usually don't achieve those reasons. Go figure. So that means in the Sunday school program, in the junior church program, that means in the teen program or the juniors program, that means in all of our programs, if we aren't pouring ourselves in with specific reasoning for specific purposes, we will probably achieve every one that we don't pour ourselves into. Does that make sense? If we don't have a target to shoot for, we're never going to make it. We're never going to hit it. So we need to have some purpose in what we're doing. This church had some neat purpose. Let's look at it. I think that the first thing I want to show you is this, in verse 13. It says this. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch. I want to stop right there. This is a local church issue. It is a specific church in a specific place in a specific time. The location was Antioch, and the implications was it's local church, most certainly not universal church. This isn't for somebody else out there in the larger body of Christ. This is for us in here in the local church that God has established, and it's for us. So don't, don't miss that. This is something that's very, very important that we say this can happen here, and we want this to happen here. The second thing I see about this is that there were in the church uh, that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. So we're going to be introduced to some characters. The first thing I see about these characters is that they had position in the church. That's why I wanted to start back in Acts chapter 11. I wanted to show you that Paul and Barnabas were in this church for a year, at least a year at this time. They had a presence. They had a ministry. There was something going on with them. It wasn't like somebody popped in and said, poof, here I am, you know. Uh, let, let's, see what, let's see what you can do. Uh, they had a place. By position, prophets. It's interesting, this word, <coughs> this word prophets is used for two things in the scriptures. Same word, two things. Number one, it's used to prophesy about things that are coming, things in the future. And we would say uh, we read the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and it goes on through the majors, the minors. Uh, we, could, we could say that is what the word means, and in fact, it does. But there's a second meaning to it. The second meaning is not only foretelling what's going to come, but forth-telling. I have to make sure I emphasize the th in this. 
because I know I'm up here in Maine where you guys talk a little different than I do. So I want you to make sure. What are you laughing at, Richie? No, we were laughing at this all the time. Anyway, forth telling. Uh, it's the idea of telling or speaking forth the word of God. And that's what these guys were doing. Now think about this. Here they are with the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the whole Bible yet. The Bible is still being revealed. The Bible is still being uh, inscripturated by holy men of old as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, right? But they knew the Old Testament scriptures so well that they could go places and they could introduce Jesus to their hearers through the Testament of the Old, the Old Testament scriptures. They knew it. I wonder... I wonder if, truth be known, I wonder if we could do that. I wonder if we know our Old Testament well enough to show Christ, convincingly show Christ to the hearer. I mean, when you get to the places where it says um, um, many were added on to the Lord, a great number, back in 1121, it says, and a great number believed and turned on the Lord. A great number out of the Old Testament scriptures. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that the church today has a, a, a handle on that. Uh, I would hope that they have a handle on the New Testament scriptures because that even clarifies it the more and praise the Lord for that. But I, I just can't, I, I am so thankful that these guys were studied and learned men, which I think we ought to pay tribute to. The gospel should be handled surgically. Not carelessly. We have too many that are handling it carelessly, and we're getting a very shallow Christianity. Uh, I, 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 I was just talking to a man uh, the other day, and he goes to a church in our town uh, that doesn't take a real strong stand. And he was telling me how, um, how he... Um, he, he, he enjoys cigars and, and a good bottle of wine. And I'm looking at him and saying, oh, this doesn't match up. Why are you doing those things? What kind of testimony do you want? Well, it just opens up my opportunities to talk to other people who smoke and who, who drink wine and whatever. And I says, and what are you offering them? Victory from what? Victory from the addiction of nicotine? No. Victory from the addiction of alcohol? No. Come on, man. Why are you... I sound like somebody else here. I don't want to say that. Um, sorry. Um, but, you know, we, we can do better than that. We have, we have a God that can make us free from those things, don't we? We have a God that sets us free. And we can enjoy that. And we ought to enjoy it. Well, here these eyes are, prophets and teachers. So they not only proclaimed it, but they taught it, and they did it well. So that's by position in verse 1. We see it. But then by name, and, and this is sort of neat too. It wasn't just a general, oh, yeah, we have some prophets and we have some teachers in our church, and isn't that good kumbaya? No, God went through and he started naming these people. You're a teacher, you're a teacher, you're a prophet proclaimer of my word. You're a proclaimer of my word. I mean, it's listed here. Look at it. Uh, verse, verse 1. 
uh, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, it was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I mean, he names these guys. Folks, do you think that we're going to get away with blending into the crowd when it comes that day when our names will be read at the judgment seat of Christ? I, I, I got to tell you, we, we need to prepare for this. Some of my favorite passages are Matthew 25 and Luke 19, the parables of the, of the talents and the pennies and the stewards and how they increased and what, how they heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't you want that? And, and, and that's just not isolated with, okay, one time I did it and it's great. No, this is a life. These are life events. These guys are named. Do you think God doesn't know us? He surely knows us. He surely knows what we're doing. He surely has the count of what we're up to. Let's make it so that he's pleased with us and not ashamed of us. Let's make it so that when we stand before him, it's well done, that good and faithful servant. And I believe that's in every aspect of our Christian life, our Christianity. So here he is, their characters by, the characters present are by position and by name. And one of the guys I've, I've read in the past, his name is Beals, and he makes this distinction. And I, I just would like to throw this out to you for your consideration. He says this, note the availability and selectivity. Now, there's two functions that he is working with, and I, I want to bring it back to the texts of Scripture because I believe it's very, very relevant. The availability is though the idea of, yes, Lord, I am willing. But the selectivity is something totally different. The selectivity goes with our performance, what we do, how we do it, what kinds of success we've had, that, that's the idea of selectivity. Uh, we do it in choosing a pastor. We do it in choosing deacons. Do you think it's only restricted to them? It's something that God uses very consistently in selecting servants for his use and ultimately coming to the well done, thou good and faithful servant. This is a personal willingness and the church's confirmation. We can see it in the life of Paul at his conversion. He asks, what shall I do, Lord? Well, that's availability. What do you want me to do? When you got saved, did you say, God, what do you want me to do? Or, wow, I'm glad I got a ticket out of hell's fire now. Uh, do you see the difference? God, what do you want me to do? You know, you saved my soul. I didn't deserve it. What do you want me to do? So that's availability. And Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 shows the church seeking and endorsing selectivity in the most that an individual can do is expressed in his willingness. Others must determine his worthiness. Doesn't that make sense? And, and, and here we have Paul and Barnabas working for a year in that church as proclaimers and as teachers they were able to see. One of the advantages of the model that we use in BMLA is that we go for the recommendation of those that have taught the students. We want recommended men, not just to fill up space. Our advisors understand the neat, the neat position 
that they have in recommending those most likely to succeed. We can't guarantee it. They're human beings. They can fall there like people can fall here. But, but the, 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 to have eyes on them for years, the recommendation is strong. So they become selectable as well as available. Do you see the difference? It's not just going and finding somebody that wants to do it, but it's someone that has proven its ability to do it. I, I understand the concept of are you, are, are you surrendered to, do, uh, to, to go into the ministry? Or are you surrendered to go into missions? I understand the concept, but perhaps we ought to add to that, are you selectable? Not just available, but are you selectable? And perhaps we ought to use a little bit more uh, scrutiny as we, as we vet our, our missionaries and our, our pastors in churches that are looking for them. You know what I'm saying? Perhaps, perhaps. So then there's this command in verse 2 also that I, I think is worth looking at. So here's the setting. They were habitually ministering among them. It says this, as they ministered to the Lord. It wasn't a one-time deal. This is their lifestyle. This is what they're known for. The language surely endorses it. That's what our Bible says, as they ministered. Not as they, they just did it once. This is the, the ongoing process. They did this. And they ministered to the Lord. And they fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. That's a chunk. Let's look at it for a moment. Let's see what we can get out of this. The, 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 the motive was a ministering to the Lord. That's what our Bible says. And, and this ministering among the people, again, produces the selectivity for these men. But there's something else that we often overlook. And, and I, I, I have... I've been able to challenge churches with this, and I do this graciously, and I do this not judgmentally, but to encourage a church. Notice what it says. As they minister to the Lord, see the next two words? And fasted. This is a lost art of prayer. It truly is. I, 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 I hear churches, and I'm one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I'll I'll say it, I'm guilty. I have plenty to complain about with our present structures in the U.S., okay? I'll leave it at that. There's plenty of things I don't like. How much am I fasting and praying that those issues get resolved? When was the last time I said to the church I belong to, let's have a day of fasting so that maybe an official that we would like to see uh, hold office would in fact be elected. Well, what was that? What was that? Here's another one. When was the last time we as a church declared a day of fasting or a week of fasting that we might see somebody raised up out of our church that we could put our amen on and encourage to go into the ministry? When was the last time we fasted over a young person in our church who showed signs of ability to go off to Bible college and maybe seminary and become a godly leader? The Lord knows that we need that. When was the last time? 
We don't like to hear it about fasting. We don't. We like to eat. We are blessed. We can eat. Maybe we shouldn't eat once in a while. If for health reasons you need to, please don't go and fast and get sick and say that bum pastor that you had in told me to fast and now I'm sick. And Don't do that. Don't, I'm, be reasonable. But let's be reasonable. Notice it says fasting there. Let me show you something else. As they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, said separate me, Barnabas and Saul, one or two, and verse three, and when they had fasted, here's the second use of it again, and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, they departed and they went. Two times in these three verses, fasting is brought up. Do you think maybe in the prototype, do you think maybe God is trying to tell us something here? Maybe. I don't think it would hurt us. And perhaps it might help us more than we know. Because when we fast, we have time set apart, and we have time that we are going without to show our desires, our strong desires, that we might go with answered prayer from the Almighty. Well, they fasted. The setting was they were ministering, they fasted, and spiritually they were right with God. Notice this. The Holy Spirit said. They were there with an ear to hear. How often do churches today listen for the Spirit of God? You say something about the Spirit of God, you're charismatic. No, I'm not a charismatic. The Spirit of God moved within me. He still does. Guess what? He provides in earnest that I am saved, 2 Corinthians 5. I mean, it's there. It's Bible. He's in me. I should listen. I mean, it's sort of like, okay, duh, you know? And I'm the biggest duh at that sometimes, too. You get so busy, you don't have time to listen to the Spirit of God. How dare we? You know what I'm saying? How dare we? We should listen and be sensitive to that. And these are the things that happen. When, they're, when they fasted and when they had an ear to listen, the Holy Ghost said, set apart. It's the idea that I want you to separate or appoint. Uh, it's the idea of set apart for a particular function. And, and it's the idea of marking off boundaries for a particular function. Well, that's exactly what this church is going to do for the work. That's the assigned task the, with, with, with anticipated results for the work that I have called them to do. I've summoned them for a specific duty or an activity or a work or a role. And he is the one that is initiating this and putting this burden onto the church. It's a good burden and a burden that they should be ready to embrace. Well, the idea then is a conveyance. Verses 3 and 4 the responsibility of the local churches that they prayed, they fasted, and with openness to the leading of the Spirit, they set them free to be about the calling. They released them. Now, 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 don't overlook this because it's very important. Paul and Barnabas were probably the two best, the two best preachers and teachers that were in that church. They weren't the flunkies. When I got saved, I went off to Bible college. This is back in the 70s, okay, early 70s. It used to be that the missionaries were those guys that couldn't do anything else. 
They, they were flunking out of the preaching courses. They were flunking out of the theology courses. They forget the languages, which never made any sense to me. If you can't learn a language, then how are you going to go to a place where you have to learn a language? Never made any sense to me. I don't know, whatever. But that, that was, honestly, that, that was the way that a lot of people thought. You can't make it in the ministry, go to be a missionary. Are you kidding me? We ought to send the absolute best we have to be a missionary. They're the ones that are out there on their own. They're the ones that are starting from like zero. They don't have all the resources in the language of the country, typically, unless it's an English-speaking country. These are the guys that have to, to learn and be exact. And, and, and I used the term earlier, but they have to be surgical with the scriptures. And, and we ought to send the absolute best that they have. And they're the ones that God has chosen and set apart and were sent out by that church to start the first missionary journey that would take them away from their home church at Antioch, go over to the island of Crete, go up into southern Turkey, Pisidia, and Antioch, and Lystra, and Iconium, and Derby. And we'll talk about that this afternoon a little bit more if you want to join us at that time, that, 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 that missionary journey. And some of the things that transpired in that because I think this is going to be the part B of, of, of what I want to share with you. But part A is simply this. The commission that we have, it shouldn't be to just anyone. We ought to get the best that we can. That's what God did. That's what we should do. It, 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 th these guys were supported by the church, but it was only for a specific time. They were sent out, they had at least, it, it seems, they had at least some support practically from the church. But ultimately, by the second missionary journey, we see Paul in Corinth. Remember what happened there? Meets up with Aquila and Priscilla. They had the same vocation. He was working there to help supply his needs. And then comes the gift from Philippi and the gift from Thessalonica, if that was in fact the case. And, and, and they refreshed Paul and gave him the opportunity to continue working full-time in ministry. Folks, we ought to take the best we have. We ought to support them in a proper way. And we ought to expect to see some great results from God. But that's not just them out there. That's preparation through these in here. Are you mentoring some of the kids of the church to at least consider what God has? Um, I'm going to take a couple minutes. I, I, I'm going to show you something. The problem with this is there's too much to be shown. I, I get a magazine called Frontline Magazine. Um, it's Independent Fundamental Baptist. Uh, it would be more of the Bob Jones stripe, okay? This is, this is the um, January-February 2021 issue, so earlier this year. This is the first story in that magazine. It says, the coming shortage of pastors and missionaries. Facing the fact, finding the way. They're publishing this stuff. I'm not sucking this out of my thumb. This isn't for my advantage. 
This is for God's advantage. We've got to do something about it. And we've got to send our own, and we've got to prepare our own to go. But if we can't, we need to go and find the best that is out there and follow that biblical model. A guy by the name of Woodrow Kroll, many of you might know of that name. Listen to what he says. This was written in 1990. This is 30 years old. Listen to this. Some mission strategists in the know estimate that it takes one missionary couple about 15 years to learn the language and the culture of their field, sow the seed faithfully, and plant a growing, vibrant church among a group of 5,000 people. At that rate, now this is back in 90, at that rate, David Bryant estimates in 1984, he's quoting back, now we're going back almost 40 years, in that rate, it would take 600,000 more missionaries to complete the task of world evangelism by A.D. 2000. Guess what? It didn't happen. Guess what? The need's still there. Guess what? Our churches can do something about it. We can send our own. We can prepare. We can encourage our young people to consider the mission field. We can send and we can support national pastors, and that's what we're all about. Remember I said it was an avenue of consideration. It was one of perhaps many ways that we can meet the dearth, but it is viable. That coupled with our churches going through a systematic, purposed ministry to get our kids ready to at least consider hearing the call of God. And we can affect the world for the Lord Jesus Christ till he comes. Are you willing? Are you ready? Will you purpose with God that you'll make a difference in your own local church and for the bigger picture of the cause of missions? That would be my heart. That would be my prayer for this church. And we all benefit from it. We all benefit, and that's what we're after. So, Father, it's a, it's a simple challenge from Scripture. If we just take the time to read it and not gloss over it, you had specific purpose in including this section of the church at Antioch, its actions, both in willingness to offer the best they had, in preparation by prayer and fasting, and then purposefully by allowing them the support to go out into the field to do the job that you've called them to do. Lord, I pray for this church and others that I've been in in my own church. I pray, God, that you would find us faithful in, prep, in prep, preparation of our young people to consider the calling of God in their lives not to shortcut the process, but to prepare for the process. There's so many ways that that can be done. Help us to have a, a heart to offer our children, to offer our children for service. Help us to do that. Not to hold them back. Not, not to taint the calling of the Most High but to understand that the safest place and the best place for our kids is where you would have them to be, Lord. 
and then perhaps even from this church family. There might be some that are, are very, very able and very, very talented and gifted that you might choose to use on the field. Lord, that's an option we need to keep in front of us. Because if you want them, we need to send them. So help us to be discerning to that end. But start with being honest with ourselves. Are we willing? And then, Lord, are we selectable? Not just available, but selectable. And then, Lord, might we offer ourselves to be used for your glory. These are prayers that we should be making and coupling them with fasting and with feet that demonstrate the willingness of a church that wants to see the footprint of Jesus Christ expand. Thank you for this church and its willingness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor?